again, all my gorgeous listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Glowwise Podcast, where we chat all about sex, sexuality, and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and as always, I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoiseshek Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, my favorite topic of sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise It does help to keep the mics going. Or if you like, please pop over to rate and review on Apple as it helps other people find out about the podcast. If you want to get in touch about the podcast, the Twitter and Instagram is at West Podcast. So today we're talking about a subject that kind of gets ignored and it really shouldn't be and that is the topic of sex and cancer and obviously cancer can be a very scary thing for some people but it doesn't have to mean the end of your sex life and we'll talk today about the issue of priorities and how we view things as sex and you know intimacy when we're going through some maybe perhaps difficult um, medical situations as well. So I have the, literally the most perfect guest today to talk to you about this. So today I'm joined by Tess Duvez, who is a sexuality clinician whose expertise is working in cancer and sexuality. Tess has been working in sex and intimacy for over seven years now as an occupational therapist, and they are also a trained somatic sexological body worker. On top of this, they teach pleasure, sex, non-monogamy, consent and kink and BDSM in Melbourne, Australia and online through Curious Creatures. And they have facilitated thousands over many years in this role. For the past three years, Tess has been fighting stage three breast cancer and has personally experienced the severe impacts treatments have on our sex. Being a queer, non-binary, polyamorous sex and cancer clinician who also has cancer has really given them some things to talk about and was the driving force to test founding Connectable Therapies, which is an online support and clinical space to help as many as possible needing help during and after cancer treatments on those more intimate challenges that we can and do face. Tess, joining me all the way from Melbourne, Australia today, how are you? I am as well as can be in lockdown. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm out of lockdown, so um, <laughs> slightly more improved than your situation. But um, who knows? There's always one looming around the corner sometimes. So Aww. yeah, who knows? But um, but yeah, you. I mean, normally a lot of the times we start off by saying, "How did you get into this work?" And obviously, you have very personal experience. But before that, because you you've worked in in sexuality for a long time and longer than you had um cancer for so talk to me about that because you started at, you, you predominantly work as an occupational therapist but you were also a trained somatic sexological body worker talk us through what that is and why it's such a long job title <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's probably the longest job title and also one of the most misunderstood that is in the sexuality sector. So I would love talking about this. Um, firstly, uh, the occupational therapy aspect is, is how I started my work in sexuality. So um, is we're functional. You know, we look at all the functional stuff that people do day to day, so like cleaning and self-care and getting to work, but it also could include sex. So it's actually a part of my degree was studying sexuality. And at the exact same time, I was actually already a workshop facilitator in the kink and BDSM sector and teaching consent and pleasure and alternative forms of touch and pleasure. So I just kind of fell off my chair with happiness at uni, realizing that OT includes sex and I could still, you know, be sex positive in a clinical aspect. And so 
through my work at primarily neurological rehabilitation and stroke and spinal cord in injury, helping people connect with their sexuality after injury and diagnoses and helping them realize it's not the end of their sex. You know, like we can work around this. This is adaptable. Sex is an adaptable activity. And then from that degree, I just realized, oh, it's just so much to learn. <laughs> and then I found the Institute of Somatic Sexology. And so then the, the sexological bodywork um, study is, I guess, in a way to call it, oh, it's so hard to describe, embodiment. embodiment. So you help people connect with their bodies and understand and reconnect with pleasure. But you can also, it's a very physiological and neurological and, and it's a very science-based um, form of work but it's it's hands-on work so it's it's not sex therapy talking it's sex therapy with with actual touch and it's all one way and you know we're always fully clothed and um it's very professional but it, the the changes that that I see with clients is is incredible I actually don't I don't do that work hands-on at the moment it's a bit tricky being and being an OT at the same time but then I was diagnosed with cancer um during all of these trainings as well and and then being the sexuality clinician who, you know, teaches people how to recover libido and helps people understand things like genital dysfunction and, and then realising that no one talked to me about my sex, no one asked me about my intimate lifestyle, my relationships, no one told me the incredibly huge impacts treatments would had on my sexuality um and, and they did like my sexuality has suffered with every single treatment that I've had and I had no one to talk to like I have had to be my own sex therapist over the past three years of fighting cancer and I just yeah. said to myself like this is ridiculous I mean sexuality it's it's not sex it's sexuality it's our intimacy it's our pleasure it's our body confidence it's our dating it's our relationships it's our well-being you know it's it contributes to our resilience and our coping and what's more important than that when you're fighting cancer Absolutely. and I just I just like this is insane like no one's talking to me about this I was that really really annoying cancer patient in the chemo chair just like screaming across the chemo ward I need a nurse who can talk to me about my labia ulcers <laughs> just like top <laughs> volume kind of like trying to role model to all the other people like come on everyone you can ask about this and yeah so I just switched my focus I did I went from neurological rehab to strictly working in sexual rehabilitation in like for people with cancer and I also work with people living with disability as well because that's another gap in the system sex and cancer and sex and disability so that was a very long answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> it always is on this podcast. Don't worry. Don't yeah. worry. But that's right. And, you know, we have had people on the podcast before who were disability advocates and they get left out of absolutely everything. And we just kind of pretend that, you know, our bodies are just these perfect machines that work and we have orgasms and everything's great. And then when, when something doesn't work that way, people are just left to figure it out on their own and like you said like ulcers on your labia ouch like that sounds really sore <sighs> but like how does that impact your sex life if you still want to have a sex life you know it's it's like that's kind of important you know to know you don't do yourself any further injury or anything but like 
Yeah, and just like but there's like sex just wasn't mentioned as part of the, the treatment at all. So it was mentioned to me voluntarily. Um, I'm going to say twice, but I can only remember one time. But I just feel like maybe that like I'm crossing my fingers that maybe in three years that was two times. I just don't remember it. And it was someone who said to me, um, I, I just need to give a warning to everybody listening. It's not as bad as this sounds, please. <laughs> um, a, a nurse said to me while I was having my chemo prep appointment, you know, and they just go through everything. And she said to me, um, you're going to need to wear, uh, wear condoms. They didn't ask about my <laughs> partner's genitalia, by the way. Um, you're going to wear, need to wear condoms um, because you'll be so toxic, you'll harm your partner. Oh. And so I've, uh, I just... I, I was so scared. Um, those words were just a cloud above my head. And they and I didn't realize how much they impacted me, but what I what I noticed was um I was so scared of hurting the people around me that I just completely withdrew. And I and I I was scared to kiss people, I was scared to hug people. Um, and and then I had this aha moment where a friend was walking down the street with me and, and he, he, he put his arm, he linked his arm through mine, you know, just as like a sign of affection. And I jumped at the touch and I just went, whoa, okay. I have not had non-medical touch in so long. Like why this shouldn't be the case. And so then I, the next day I, I rang my breast care nurse and and I, and I just said, I, I need clarification on what this means. And then she, she just says, oh, no, no, just, just wear barriers for, 24, for 48 hours after your infusion with, for the type of chemo you're on. And then you're fine. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it? Yeah, that would sorry. have been important information to be very yeah. clearly stated. Wow. And I think, I think it's this thing of, you know, we're, we're told that sex is something to be, you know, it's behind closed doors. You know, people refer to it as like, you know, uh, in the dark or in the bedroom, between the sheets, you know, it's not in your living room or in your kitchen. It's not it's not sharing a bath with your partner and, and hugging and spooning. And, you know, it's it's these hidden like you can't talk about sex and we're just raised like that. It's just our culture. So I think people just don't think they can ask and, and then I guess people are really scared to, and it's not something that the medical staff volunteer. So it's this catch 22, you know, and, um, you know, the staff are flat out and, and honestly, they're just, they're, they're keeping us alive. And I, I would not be here without my incredible treating team. I love them. But at the same time, there's this block because the people who really, really are suffering, you know, their intimacy is suffering, their connections are suffering, their relationships are suffering, but they just think that it's something that they need to put up with, or it's like, oh no, no, this is just me. There's no one, no one else feeling this way, or I can't ask about that. And and I just need to say right now that uh, you are so not alone. And the thousands of people I support all over the world in my Facebook support group, everyone just says, oh my god, I thought I thought I was the only one. I can't believe it. And there, yeah. So if you think if you're someone who is undergoing treatment and you're listening, if you have a friend or a partner or a lover or a family member undergoing treatment, check in with them and say, you know, like, how are you going intimately? Like, how are you with your connection to yourself or the people around you? I've heard about this amazing resource. By the way, that's me. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I'm the amazing resource because I'm the only resource. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that but no, it's just this thing. It, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's just crazy and I, I think um the the shame that our culture puts around openly discussing sexuality and openly you, you can't have too much of it and you can't have too little of it and you can't talk about it openly and you can't you know, you can't ask about it. We don't learn about it, but you're supposed to know how it works. And then it's unrealistically portrayed in porn, but that's, you know, and somehow we're supposed to be good at it. It's just ridiculous. And then throw cancer in the mix. And, and the changes to our bodies are, are endless depending on the treatments that you have. Um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where I think a lot of people just think they're all alone and that it's something they need to put up with, but you can rehabilitate pleasure you can rehabilitate sensation, you can rehabilitate libido, you know, there, there are ways you can help with your, say, if you have vaginal pain and atrophy from, you know, chemo or radio or hormone treatments, there are ways to help heal those tissues so you can have penetrative sex again. For people who have changes in erection, you know, you can rehabilitate sens sensation and, and even there are so many ways and means now where you can help rehabilitate erections depending on the type of procedures that you've had. You know, like there are, there are things out there you can do. It's just like it's the asking. It's so hard. And I, it was hard for me. Like it took me ages to ask that nurse that chemo question. I was like, Tess, you're the sex therapist. Come on. I know, but you're also human as well. Yeah. And in a, in a scary environment, you know, I think, you know, the thing with cancer is like, oh my gosh, what if, you know, it's all the what ifs and, and, and all that kind of thing. So people are just terrified and just leave it in the hands of the professionals. And then if the professionals don't talk about sex, well, then it's like, oh, well, maybe this just isn't a part of this because nobody's spoken to me about it. And that, that's totally reasonable to think that because, of course, and when you're in fear, you know, you don't take in as much information and everything else because you're just trying to survive and all that kind of thing. Like the only thing I've ever heard over the years about, about cancer and sex is uh, like, I suppose, related to, oh, you can freeze your eggs and then, you know, after chemo. You, you can you know figure out a family and stuff and it's like that's yeah that's probably the only sex adjacent thing I think I've, mm. I've ever heard I've never heard anything yeah. about cancer and sex fertility gets a lot of focus sex doesn't yeah fertility and I understand why it has a lot of focus you know because sometimes people may really want to have children and their treatments will impact that but at the same time there's there's more you know again it's the like just people who are so scared to go dating again because they're they're the changes to their body that they don't understand and there's people who message me and ask for ask for sessions because you know their connections with their partner it's like living with a friend and they just don't know how to rebuild um and yeah we we i'm using we statements like we are petrified at times and it's also so stressful you know cancer affects everything I focus on sexuality because it's the gap in the system and I have such a unique set of skills being someone that has cancer but I'm also OT and I'm also sexology trained um, it would just be you know I, if I didn't help if I didn't do this um, I would just be sitting back knowing that there'd be people suffering and I'm actively not helping them but can so that doesn't really compute in my brain but yeah, it's these, the, 
the priorities shift, you know, and so you're in survival mode and you're in coping mode. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm very detached from my body and, oh, I don't have orgasms anymore. What's going on with that? Am I broken? And then it's that thing of, again, it comes back to what's wrong with me. Oh, this is just me. I'm broken. No one else is going through this because there's no resources and no one's talking about it openly. So it's uncommon, but it's really common. I guarantee what you're experiencing. So many people are experiencing it. Absolutely. And I w- no, no, of course, I'm absolutely justified. <laughs> I want to go back to what you said there about, you know, if you if you are in a relationship when you have cancer and, you know, maybe um, like you said, there's that lack of intimacy. But like a lot of partners um, of people who have cancer, you know, kind of do t- t- turn into that kind of carer role. And then, you know, I suppose after treatment, it's like, how do you go back into the sexy role, you know, when you've just been you know caring for someone who you know is probably a hot mess in the middle of treatment which justifiably so and the sex has just been off the agenda for for ages like how do you kind of restart all that again oh such a good question yeah it's 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 complicated and and also for the partners I'm just going to give a shout out because it is scary seeing your loved one be so unwell and and I know I help so many partners who are they're actually scared to touch their partner because they don't want to hurt them or they've got scars from surgeries and you know like it's it's a it's a really there's anxiety and and pressure on on both sides but I think I think what people feel like (laughs) it's that should word the should (laughs) what people feel like they should be doing is all of a sudden okay so I'm starting to you know I'm able to get out of bed easier I've got more energy during the day I'm in less pain all right we should start having sex again and I just and I just think that there like sex is a part of it but like sex is the goal right and it's on the other side of a river and you need to build a bridge to get to the sex and the bridge is built of things like connection and communication and affection and touch and intimacy and when you get all of these it's kind of like starting again you know go on a date no sex rule go on a date with your partner get to know each other again you know play the the two minute game I'm obsessed with the two minute game (laughs) you set a timer for two minutes and you ask your partner to touch you in a way and then the timer goes off and then you stop and then you switch and you know it's just a really lovely way to reconnect with people without the focus of the sex you know and there's that pressure of it going somewhere and if we're in pain we're not going to want sex if we feel guilty about not having sex we're not going to want sex you know and that's our desire so I really try and help people really slowly build connection and affection. You know, it's about wanting to hug and touch and it's about enjoying and craving connection with your partner again. And if you, if you jump straight into that sex part and there's so many factors involved in sex, there's impacted arousal responses, our sensory changes, there's like body confidence and self-esteem drops, like, it, it's it's too much you know so my my practice is you know I, I break everything down and I'm like all right Tess says you are not allowed to have sex for the next six weeks and I'm going to give you touch activities that you have to do and and you're going to really slowly rebuild that connection and um the people that stick to it they're just like oh my god we can't keep our hands off each other this is amazing because it's oh. just you got to remove the goal to get to the goal you know that sex is so much pressure 
Because remember, we're supposed yeah. to know how it works and we're supposed to be good at it and we're supposed to always want it. Yeah. We've got no education on it. It's ridiculous. I, no, but that, that point's really good because like I, sometimes like the idea of sex is like you have to be super enthusiastic about it. And, you know, it's part of some of the analogies about consent. You know, the fries right. analogy that the E stands for enthusiastic and people think you have to be like, you know, swinging from chandeliers and you have to be dressed up in all this gear and stuff. And sometimes like the best sex can be just going, I go on, you know, like, you know, it's like we'll just like put minimal effort in. But actually, that can be really nice. You don't have to be. I think people think enthusiastic means like raring to go and high energy and all this kind of thing. You are so spot on. So sex, sex bodies, sexological body workers, we call it warm sex. You know, warm sex can be soft and squishy and lovely and delicious and so pleasurable. And you can have all the orgasms or none of them at all, but it doesn't really matter because it's delicious and it's not that Olympic sport sweat fest that porn, oh, poor porn. Yeah, it doesn't give us the best idea. I mean, I, there's some paid pornography that's absolutely incredible, you know, full of consent and checking in and realistic portrayals of actually you know human bodies and things like that but yeah, it's hard absolutely. to find yeah and I like a lot of yeah yeah like big sweat fest I like that idea of like some people think even taking out cancer and, and illness and everything that like you know if you're not having sex in this like hardcore kind of way because that's the only thing that's modeled to us most of the time or else if it's Hollywood two people it's usually hetero like fall back on a bed at the exact same moment and everyone's super happy and it's like these are the only ways we're told we can have sex simultaneous orgasm or like hardcore fucking for like 20 hours and like just like where's the in-between bits of all those things so something that I find quite um really interesting and it comes back to that uh the guilt and the shame and partners not wanting to pressure their loved ones because you know they're fighting cancer and they feel they feel like they're harassing them and predators etc and so partners will have you know have sex with themselves or have solo pleasure but they'll hide it and so they'll you know sneak in their solo sex and um and so you know thinking about that divide that can build between relationships and and so many partners have 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 just been really shocked like really you are you are masturbating why were you hiding that from me and then came the discussions of like well how about next time you say like look I'm I'm really interested in self-pleasuring myself would you like to lie next to me would you like to touch my body would you like to kiss my neck while I'm pleasuring myself you know and so it's it, it becomes sex together rather than you know this person hiding it and and people just don't even realize that's an option because it has to be genital two-way focused sex and yeah and there's so much more out there even things like toys oh my goodness there are so many toys (laughs) but helping people you know say if you have vaginal atrophy you can you can use a clitoral vibrator and you can still have incredible amounts of pleasure with your partner. But again, you know, without the penetration, because that's the source of the pain. And people are just so amazed that like, oh, I didn't really think that that was an option. And it's, yeah, we, but that's how my we, sex ed was, yeah. sorry, go. No, but that that's how we are taught that sex is. It's like step one, step two, penetration. 
and that's what it is and it's like and, and again porn and hollywood and, and education and every everything tells us that's what sex is and then so when when penetration isn't an option people are like oh okay is that it is that the end of our sex life then and you can see why they think that because if, if that's all you're told sex is and then it's gone it's like well, A plus B equals C, you know? Yeah, I'm going to share a, a, a story uh, about this. Um, so a heterosexual couple, a he and a she, and he had uh, cancer of the penis, and so he had his penis removed. And so he he describes it as his, his happy hole. And him and his partner have, uh, you know, they've been doing a lot of work together on, you know, em- embracing pleasure and touch and learning about you know the the nuances of giving and receiving and allowing and taking and and uh you know breath and orgasms and he he says he wrote an article it's it's incredible he's like we're having the best sex of our life I'm so glad I had my penis removed you know because before for them it was penetration for 15 minutes he would ejaculate she might have a climax maybe and then that was it. But now they're like he 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 says that they they actually have they pleasure each other for about an hour and it's very satisfying and it's very fulfilling and they feel more connected than ever. And it's just that wonderful example of pleasure is pleasurable, you know, and it's not um and when we can break down these these ideas of what we should be having and this is where my OT brain kicks in you know it doesn't matter how you're doing it as long as you're doing it like it doesn't have to look like what everyone else is doing does it feel good is it connecting you to your loved one is it connecting you to yourself and it's very scary you know we're told we can't talk about it and so I guess that's kind of I I I teach exactly how I'm speaking right now you know what you hear is what you get I'm a very no fluff Aussie but it can be a normal conversation and it's about that that role modeling of like okay let, let's 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 start to talk about our the body part that's not the thing that is causing you a lot of anxiety let's talk about you know let's talk about your neck does your neck like to be touched let's talk about how it likes to be touched how could you explore that you know and you choose different body parts and you work your way and like people get used to having these conversations because it's totally new. You know, people aren't used to talking about how they're feeling and how they like to be touched. It's not how we're raised. Um, so even that, you know, communication's everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh. And that that oh, that's such a good example because I think especially for people who do have a penis and, and then it's gone, it's like, you know, like the penis is the source of manhood in society and you know it's Mm -hmm. like the focus of sex and all these kind of things and all these like like that's a lot of pressure and then if your penis is gone like that's huge you know it must be just such a part of that male identity and and because it's drilled into us since birth like all that kind of stuff so that's a really lovely thing that that they kind of came out of it but again I imagine that that information was probably not given to people because I can imagine that the conversation was about um you know peeing and how you pee when when your penis is gone because obviously that's what you use to pee if you have a penis um but yeah how to reinvigorate your sex life after your your penis is gone I can't imagine that is a massive 
source of information when somebody has cancer in that area but then it should be that should be not like number one but like it should be pretty high up that list of priorities but I can imagine it's not and there's also as an example prostate cancer so for people that have prostatectomies they will lose um, the ability to become erect uh, depending on the if the nerve removal or if there's nerve damage you can rehabilitate. Sometimes it takes about a year and sometimes the ability to become erect is, is gone. Um, and, and that sense of loss, you know, because, because erection means something's good. Erection means you're attracted to the other person. Erection means you're good at sex. And, and it, it's very difficult to process. And, and I'm, I'm going to relate this to breast cancer as well, by the way, because the removal of breasts is extremely um hard to process as well it's another erogenous sexual zone but with with prostate cancer is you know i i I help people realize you know no no you you can still have orgasms with a soft penis like no no that's totally possible or you you can orgasm without having to you don't need to ejaculate to have an orgasm like let let's i'm gonna show you on my my um, penis model, <laughs> not on a real human, but I show people like, this is how you can actually pleasure yourself with a soft penis. I teach partners and, you know, it's, it's like sensory rehabilitation, but it's also, it's pleasure and arousal rehabilitation. And sometimes that in itself can help speed up the recovery process. And sometimes it doesn't, but it's also a way that they can still have, you know, those experiences with their partner. And there's also things like, you know, Viagra doesn't work, um, you know, it's not it's not the be all and end all, but, you know, there's vacuum devices and there's injections and there are a lot of options out there. And I don't want to focus only on penises, but it's it's a it's a really big deal. And, and the same goes for people who are suffering vaginal atrophy. You know, the, the vagina is just offline and it's, you know, it's painful and the, the tissues and the walls are thinning people say to me, you know, I'm losing, I'm using lube. Why is it still hurting? I'm like, oh, it's because you've got, you know, the tissues are thinning and you need moisturizer. You don't need lube. Like you got to heal the tissues before you have the sex. And um, it's a huge sense of loss, but I guess I just wanted to say that to, to help people realize that there are options. Yeah, you know, no, you're, not, you're not alone. There are ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like even if you had things like ovarian cancer or cervical cancer, like the whole area then is being poked and prodded and it's it just becomes like this scary place. It's kind of I can imagine it'd be quite hard to reclaim that as a as a sexy place instead of this is the source of the thing that's making me ill. And, you know, I imagine the same with breast cancer as well of, of like, you know, breasts are such a big thing in our society. And then when they're gone, it's like, or they're, they're, you know, not well. It's, it seems like it's really hard to visualize them as sexy then in the middle of all that. Yeah. And it, it it's, it's, it's grief, you know, and especially for people with um, cancers in the, in the pelvic area who need to have internal radiation, um it can take quite a bit of time to recover from and so and there's that you know penetrative sex is going to be a challenge and it can it could be for quite some time but you've got the amazing clitoris and you've got this incredible nervous system where you can actually through so slow repeated touch this is my neuroplasticity nerd coming out now but you can actually create other erogenous zones on your body you know I no longer have a breast and my and and a nipple 
but my inner thighs, like with a bit of training and repetition, like my inner thighs are way more erogenous than my breasts were because I've, you know, I've been focusing on them. I've been like slowly touching them and reconnecting my pleasure pathways and getting those areas of my brain to that part of my body stronger. And so there, there is hope as well. You know, if one part of our body goes offline, we've got the rest of our body, you know, and we have amazing nervous systems that we can totally hack. I like that. Oh, it's such a like tech nerd kind of approach to it as well. Yeah, I'm a neuro nerd. Like every, every, all the work I do is neuroscience. It's all ah, like, yeah. That's really nice. And, and that's, I love that. Like you break that down for people because a lot of people, like I'm not a, a science person as such. So, you know, neuroplasticity, neuroplastic, I'm like, I struggle even saying the words, you know, let alone like kind of figuring that those bits out and stuff. And a lot of people will be the same. And especially again, when you're in crisis mode, it's really hard to take in complicated information, you know, and, and especially like you're just trying to get through the day, you know, you're not trying to really like take a science degree in the middle of surviving and stuff like that or well maybe some people are um but that's an interesting space to you know like I suppose to 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 kind of start learning again like you said you have a Facebook group like that's really Mm. lovely because other people then can go on and like you said feel like they're not alone but like learn how others are taking in um and managing that information then I think that's really nice like what kind of conversations go go on in those kind of groups Oh goodness, you name it. So my my uh, Facebook support group is global, and it's for all cancers and all genders because cancer affects everybody. And um, it's really important for me that I try to help as many as I can. So we have we have so many, you know, over forty three countries. I counted because I'm that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but, um, pretty I'm awesome. So proud, forty three yeah. countries. Yeah. yeah, and you know, a lot of the time it's like, okay, you know. I want to try and have sex with my partner again. And I'm really scared about this and this and this. What are you, what have you done? Or, Hey everyone, guess what? I, I tried this lube and it was awesome. I highly recommend, you know, someone's like, Hey, I got my first erection in eight months and everyone cheers and someone else is, you know, like I, I thought I was all alone. I have, I have so much like fatigue. I, I don't feel like connecting is possible. What can I do? And everyone is just, it's so supportive. And that's where the, it's, it's community, but it's also, you know, peer learning is so important because I've got my lens, my clinical lens and my personal cancer lens, but there are so many people with shared experiences that can offer insights that I can't. So I, I, I love that group. They're my cancer fam. We call each other the cancer fam. <laughs> yeah, I love them. They're so amazing. I'm actually starting to get emotional talking about it. <laughs> oh, bless. No, that's, love. that's really nice. And I think, again, it's really nice to, to have that like, oh, I found this product that works. Like, that's really nice to have that community because, you know, like if you were to go to your doctor and ask them that, like maybe they just don't know, you know, they're not up to date on, on the sex part of things. Like, like do you do training for, for a doctor? and nurses working in this area because again a lot of the times sex is left out of like nursing training and medical training and all these kind of things unless someone is a you know a specialist in that area they're not gonna have all that information because again it's like we just pretend sexual wellness just doesn't matter the same way Mm. mental and and physical wellness matters um so yeah do you do do training in that area of, of of professionals in this field I haven't been asked, but I would definitely say yes. Um, 
the occupational therapy community, so not all OTs address sexuality. Um, some it's not quite in their scope or they feel like they don't have enough training. So I'm a big, big advocate as well to increase the occupational therapists all over the world to address sexuality. So I'm actually I'm about to release a book for people with cancer and their partners, which is just it's just strategies like you've got pain, fatigue, atrophy, orgasm changes like this is what you can do this is how the body works this is what it means these are the treatments how they affect you blah 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 and so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that that's also going to be read by clinicians as a way for them to have an idea of how to have those conversations because also in the book it's just it's just sentence strings you know okay if you want to ask your radiotherapist about what the impacts it's going to have on your genitals these are the ways you can ask and these are the people you can ask and so it's very very practical but brilliant I guess that's kind of my way of hopefully trojan horsing the clinical world to talk about sex more well that's it and if you know if your patients have this book they can bring it in and make their clinicians aware of it and you know all all those kind of things so it's lovely that sounds fantastic when is that due to come out Oh goodness. I'm, I'm still on treatment. So I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm hoping in a month. So I guess watch this space. Uh, it's, it's going to be called a better normal, um, reclaim your intimacy after treatments or some, something along those lines. Okay. Sorry, my, my treatment brain, I can't remember the words exactly, but the, the <laughs> okay. title is definitely a better normal. I just yeah. can't remember the subtitle. Yeah, that's more fine. That's fantastic. It was such a thanks. lovely approach to it as well. Just nice and calm. Well, it's that thing, isn't it? You know, people are more comfortable in the privacy of their own home. So you know, and you can you can hide you know you can hide under the covers with your torch reading this book if you're too scared to talk to your partner just yet. It's got a you know, or you can accidentally leave the book on a coffee table for your partner to come across and like maybe that. realize that <laughs> oh we could we could talk about this and there's ways to get around this and oh my god I'm not alone. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to find ways to reach people. So I've got a Facebook group. I've got hopefully this book is coming out really soon. Um, that'll be on Amazon. I've got an online course for couples, which is libido and intimacy rehabilitation. Like it's just, you know, it just helps people reconnect. And I'm, I'm with, you know, every step of the way over it's a six, six weeks, just so you don't have to do too much at once. And it's all neuroplasticity, but it's complicated on my end, the designer, but it's super simple for the user experience. I've got a YouTube channel for people that like videos about articles on my website so I'm just trying you know all the mediums so that hopefully I can reach as many people as possible just so they can get support yeah well people learn in different ways and you know maybe if your brain is too frazzled after a treatment a YouTube video might be a bit easier to to digest perhaps in that kind of case so that's lovely to have all those different options out there so well I I still can't read you know the the hormone treatments I'm on I have cognitive dysfunction so I actually I can't read books and I can't listen to books because I, I it's just I have to keep going back to that sentence and then I just get really frustrated. Aww. You know, so memory and attention is a huge part of it as well. And so again, it's that thing of you can tell people what they need to know, but then it's it's really hard to make it stick and have it processed and understood. So again, it's those mediums where people can keep coming back. 
absolutely yeah and and the, it's it, meeting people where they are and that's a very nice and compassionate approach as well which I really like the sound of so that sounds fab I want to just before we end I want to go back to your bio there and you're saying that you are poly as well so poly and sex is a complicated area for many medical professionals to kind of understand sometimes um poly sex and cancer seems like a mix of clinicians just going okay where do we go with this one <laughs> like how do you talk about sex with multiple people in the mix of everything else that's going on well the benefit of no <laughs> no clinicians talking about it is I didn't have to explain my my way of living but it, it was pretty tricky I mean I had uh, you know my partner she was with me and I was sitting in the chemo chair and we were holding hands and, and a nurse looked at us and was like, oh, isn't it nice? You're such good friends. <laughs> you know, it's just this really, you know, it was just very, um, it was very insulting to not only to her, um, but it was just, you know, it's like it just made me not want to open up to the people around me. And I'm like, I don't want to share who I am with people that don't even recognize that this person could be my yeah. girlfriend, you know. And then so and then my, my primary carer who is male presenting, you know, it was it was flawless. You know, everyone was asking how they were doing and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was just like it was this amazing contrast. And I actually didn't bother telling anyone I was non non-monogamous. I just it just became the more I was ugh, breast cancer is very pink. You know, the sisterhood is very strong. And I was already like, oh, finding it a bit tricky and. And, and then it's just these little things like, you know, they just assume that this person's my partner and that person's my friend and the lack of people wanting to talk to me about my sexuality or, you know, like even just the genital pain or, you know, like, can I kiss my partner? I've got mouth ulcers, you know, was, it, I just retreated. So for me, it was really easy because I didn't tell anyone, <laughs> but um in 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 my book, I've I've got some suggestions around non-monogamy as well, um, because there were times when I I really wanted to have both of my partners there, and it was and and from the personal experience, like the the night of my diagnosis, you know, bawling my eyes out, told I was possibly terminal, um, you know, rang rang my partner, she's like, okay, get home, I'm coming to you right now. Um, rang my other partner and we just sat together and we were holding hands and we we're reading the test results and we we're all crying and then all of a sudden it became a brainstorm they started talking to each other how can we both support tests and how can we support each other you know and it was it was absolutely beautiful um, and so you know I think for some people multiple partners might create uh, difficulties because you know there's only so much energy and time in a day and with cancer treatments we're already so tired but at the same time it was it was it was like a family unit you know and my partners had more support and and I had more support and it was all through love and um yeah it was it was really beautiful like it was yeah they're pretty amazing people oh, that sounds incredible I hope you have some of your book dedicated to them after all that <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness what they have put up with over the past few years <laughs> oh bless no it must be it is hard like again like maintaining relationships at the best of times and when you're throwing some kind of life crisis into it it can be difficult also so I'm really glad to hear that it was a lovely positive experience for you there 
I also need to acknowledge that there were times where it was really tough. You know, I'm not, I'm not that person that breezed through cancer. I, I definitely did not. But um, I guess from that, there's been so much learning. There's so much learning. Um, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but yeah, I think I've, and I hear I like a lot of people in cancer support groups, you know, so much growth um, and you kind of figure out who you are from it. So yeah, I'm, I'm just really, really honoured to be able to help people in this area that, where they feel so alone. And then it's, it's lovely that the, the key message there is that you are not alone and thanks to your work, they are not. So, which is fantastic. Um, where can people find you and the support services that you offer? Oh, nice. Um, so my, the online, sorry, people, if you don't like Facebook, I apologize. It's a Facebook support group. <laughs> it's called the Intimacy OT. Um, I, that's what I call myself, the Intimacy OT. Um, my business page is connectabletherapies.com and it, you'll find everything you want on that page. It's got, you know, if you want the YouTube channel or, or written articles or the book or anything like that, the Facebook support group, the course for couples, it's all at connectabletherapies.com. Um, yeah. And, and the, the group, I, 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 I feel uncomfortable. I don't want to sound salesy, but I guess, you know, people really value the support and the, and the learning experiences and and the community. And uh, there's a some re- it's a very very vulnerable space, but it's also extremely supportive and and friendly. You know, so if you do feel like um, you're suffering alone in silence, come join the Cancer Fam, and we would love to have you. Oh, oh, that's a, it's a lovely little name. It's like, oh, that's a nice one. Um, Fab, <laughs> and you have you have your Facebook. So, do you have Twitter and Instagram as well? I I don't. Okay. I'm terrible at social media. So, test test like my my pro, my Facebook profile. Like, I'm I'm always posting, you know, tidbits and information about intimacy and cancer, and also my Facebook business page, Connectable Therapies. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I I just I can't keep track of facebook by itself i can't add more into the mix that's absolutely fine it's called boundaries and self-care so yeah it's uh, yeah. <laughs> a good thing brilliant well look i hope um you know listeners do go over and check that out and even you know if they don't have cancer themselves to refer a friend because you know unfortunately a lot of us do know a lot of people with cancer as well so it's lovely that um people can say hey here's a resource for you and feel like they're helping as well and which they are mm-hmm. so that's a lovely lovely thing so um thanks emil today tess for for talking to me i think this is um just something so important and it's a lovely act of kindness to provide these resources so thank you for doing that thank you so much for having me it's um it's wonderful to be able to share openly about this very unaddressed topic so thanks no worries no worries um, and thanks Mel, to all my listeners for ta- for listening in today i know it's a heavy heavy subject as we sometimes veer into on the podcast but a necessary one because unfortunately cancer will affect a lot of people in our lifetimes ourselves included perhaps so it is important to know that there are such lovely kind options out there as run by tests so um please do take advantage of those and share 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 among your friends and family and I will talk to you next week